We all love great movies, right? We've got a lot of movie fans in here. Why don't you turn to the person next to you or closest to you uh, in this first service and tell them your all-time one great favorite movie. Go ahead and do that right now. Find somebody next to you and tell them your all-time one great favorite movie. Brian, what's yours? <laughs> what are they? Let, let's, let's hear a few of them. What's some of your all-time favorite movies? Facing the Giants. Okay. What else? Singing in the Rain. It's a Wonderful Life. What else? 101 Dalmatians. Yes, from the lady in the back. Great films. Well, I, I was going through my movie collection and and I know there are some people that have hundreds upon hundreds of movies that they enjoy watching over and over again. And I just went through a few of mine. I, I maybe have a dozen, but the dozen or so that I have are some of my favorites. And I, and I thought I'd share a few of my favorites with you. There's, there's Tom Hanks in Castaway, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. and Enjoy watching it. There's uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart. All right, any guy, you know, especially that I know, you know, females too, you got to love Love Braveheart or Gene Hackman starring in Hoosiers, which is probably my all-time favorite movie, this great basketball film. Uh, we've got Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. Uh, great, great film in my opinion. Uh, how about Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels in Dumb and Dumber? Yeah, I mean a true classic, uh, Dumb and Dumber. And then Snow Buddies, uh, this Disney film starring Shasta, Buddha, Mudbud, Rosebud, Butterball, and B-Dog. Now, it isn't actually one of my favorite movies, but it does offer 87 minutes of peace and quiet in our home uh, when, when we kick that in for the boys. You know, I, I think we all could agree as we start that we love, we love movies. You know, we, we all love movies. We, we love great stories. We love movies like Avatar uh, for the great special effects. Uh, we love movies for the actors and who star in them. We, we love great movies. Most importantly, we love great movies because they're great stories. I mean, take Castaway, for example. The, the story of Chuck Noland. His plane crashes in the ocean and he's forced to survive on a des- deserted island or they're in Braveheart. You know, William Wallace leads a group, a band of nobodies uh, towards Scotland's ultimate freedom. Or Dumb and Dumber, you know, Harry and Lloyd drive a pooch van and uh, go chasing after love in Aspen. You know, we, we love great movies. We love great stories. And there's one thing that, that all great movies, that all great stories have in common. Things like ingredients like adventure, uh, intrigue, you know, uh, love story, danger. You know, it's the struggle between good and evil. It's the struggle between despair and hope. It's a hero or a group of heroes that are fighting to overcome great circumstances or to overcome evil. Every great story includes one or some or all of these ingredients from Braveheart to Gladiator to Throw Mama from the Train, you know, which I've never seen that movie before, but I do think it's one of the all-time great titles. Every great movie, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a shoot 'em up flick or a, a great chick flick, you know, all great movies are great stories, and we love great stories, don't we? Well, today we're talking about another great story, uh, the greatest story of all time. And I'm, I'm excited about this new series for, for many reasons. We're, we're calling this series The Story of Everything. And my goal over these next six weeks is to share with you what I believe to be some of the most important truths of the Christian faith. And you've always wanted to know, you know, what it means to be a Christian, or you've always wanted to know, you know, what, what some of the most important truths of the Christian faith are. Well, here it is. 
I mean, here's the accelerated version. Here's the Cliff Notes version of what we believe as a church, what we believe as followers of Jesus. Now, the story of everything is a series about what we believe as a church. But, but let me just say that I realize that for some of you, you know, that, that might not get you going. You know, this idea of studying the what we believes. You know, for some, it might not sound like an exciting study of, of sorts. But, but I want you to hang in there with me because I believe that what we're going to talk about over these next six weeks is so critical for every person here. You know, whether you've been a part of church all of your life or this morning is the first time you've ever been a part of a church. I, I just believe it's so critical because the basics of what we believe are critical to our understanding of who God is and what He's like and what, what His love is all about. And sometimes it just is so important to go back to the basics. I mean, consider a great coach, you know, his, his struggling team you know, it is slumping of sorts. And sometimes that great coach will take the team back to practice to simply return to the basics. You know, it's healthy for any marriage, whether you've been married five years or 50 years, to carve out time to, to go on dates with your wife or to go on dates with your husband. You know, it's about returning to the basics. It's about getting back to what brought you back together initially. The basics are so important. And these what we believe is these basics that I want to talk to you about are not, not propositions that I want you to learn or statements to memorize so that you can say them like a creed or a pledge or anything like that. What we believe is really a great story. It's a great story. It's a life-changing story. And I believe that the Bible tells one of the greatest stories, the greatest story that we could ever know and hang on to. And I believe that it is true. I believe that it is accurate. I believe that there are no errors. That everything in this book is intentional. Everything that God wants to teach us is intentional. I mean, God is using this book, the Bible, to tell us a story. And so over the next six weeks, I, I look forward to just opening your eyes a bit so that we might better understand the love of God. That we might understand the pain and the devastating effects of sin. That we might talk about the freedom and the redemption and the forgiveness that's offered to us in Jesus. That we might be able to spend time talking about the guidance and the power that has been provided to us in the Holy Spirit. That we might be able to talk about the role of the church, the dynamic role that we've been given as a part of this great story. And that we can talk about the hope that we have in knowing that Jesus Christ will one day return to this earth as we eagerly await, await Him. I mean, my prayer for you is this. My prayer is that for some of you, these next six weeks will present you the opportunity to renew or recommitment your love for Jesus Christ. Uh, that maybe you've been taking it for granted and because of the circumstances of life, you, you've kind of lost track a little bit or you've lost sight. Maybe as we get back to the basics, you can come back to this knowledge and this understanding of how great, great God's love is for you. But, but for some of you, you know, as we talk about these basics, you know, my, my hope and my prayer for you is this, that, that maybe you'll see something for the first time in your life. That there's something that's been missing. There's, there's a message that you've overlooked, uh, a message that's been taken out of context. And I'd love for you to be able to receive God's love and to experience his forgiveness in your life. Here's what we're going to do two months from now is Easter Sunday. My hope and my prayer is that it will be the biggest baptism service we've ever had at Genesis Church. I'm going to be praying for that for you. We're asking our connection groups to be praying about that. We've got different people in the church praying for that. I hope that our little baptism pool is full of students and adults, not all at the same time because it's not that big and it would overflow. But uh, 
but that Easter Sunday would be a great celebration as we think about God's love and what it means to all of us. I also hope that you'll think about really engaging with us in this series, not only on Sunday mornings, but there is a a daily Bible reading plan to go along with this series. We've made those copies available back at the Info Hub this morning. You can also download them off of the Internet. I also hope you'll take an opportunity to sign up for a connection group. Many groups start tonight and even this week. We're asking all of our groups to kind of walk with us throughout the series. So not only are you hearing things here, but you get a chance to kind of process them and talk about them while you're in your group. And and I hope you'll be a part of that. So the story of everything. That's where we are. How does it all fit together? Here's the best part about the story. And if you're taking notes, you you can start here. The best part about the story is this. The story is, is about you. Uh, You've got a part in this story. One of the best parts about this story is it is about you. You and I have a part in it. Why is that so important, you know? Because I think life can get a little confusing, can get a little complicated at times. I mean, think about some of the questions that you ask uh, as you go through life at different seasons in your life. You know, did I choose the right college? Or am I really in the the right line of work? Is this what I was truly made for? Am, Am I ever going to find someone to spend the rest of my life with? Did I marry the right person? Are my kids heading in the right direction? Maybe those are some of the questions that you've asked. Maybe not exactly, but maybe you've asked similar questions. You know, we all want answers to our questions about life. We want the confidence of knowing that that we're on track. And so we ask questions, you know, like if life is an interstate, is it possible that I took the wrong off-ramp, you know, 10 years ago? Have I fallen out of God's plan for my life? Is God angry with me? Is my life an accident? Is there really hope for my future? Do I, do I have a purpose in all this? I mean, we want to know that our life has a greater purpose. Take one great story, for example, the movie The Incredibles. Uh, is about a family of former superheroes, and due to a surge of lawsuits against superheroes, the government was forced to hide these superheroes and witness protection programs throughout the country. Well, now known exclusively by his hidden identity, Bob Parr lives a normal life with his wife and three children. But when a mysterious informant offers Mr. Incredible the chance to be a hero again, watch what happens in his life. Here's the point. I mean, if we're willing to step back and take a look at it all, the, the story of everything offers an answer. I mean, it really offers insight. You know, I mean, it's an invitation into this life of purpose and meaning. And, and like Bob Parr, we're all just trying to kind of figure out where we fit into this story. What's the role that we're called to play? And, and as a church, we believe that in discovering the story of everything, we can better understand how it all comes together and what it means. So the story of everything. Here we go. If you want to follow along, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible, go to the first page, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Think about it this way. Every great story has a great beginning. What are some of the greatest openings of of all time stories? Uh, Once upon a time. Or how about this? One of our favorites. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I mean, when you hear a beginning like that, you know that a great story is about to follow. Well, we see that here. This story begins this way in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when it says, In the beginning, God. 
I mean, some of the most famous words ever spoken right here. I mean, you may not have any scripture memorized, but chances are you know how this one starts. In the beginning, God. And when we read in the beginning, you need to know what it actually means is that before the beginning. And we're we're actually being offered here a quick glimpse into before there was anything. Right here in Genesis 1-1, before there was anything, before the trees and oceans and, and mountaintops and hippos, before there was anything, there was this person and his name is God. And while you and I have an important part in this particular story, I want to introduce to you this morning the main character in the story of everything. His name is God, and it's at this point in a a movie like Braveheart where you meet William Wallace. Uh, It's at this point in Spider-Man where you meet Peter Parker or in Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby. You know, in the beginning, God. And God is the main character of the story of everything. Well, the book of Genesis was originally copied down into the Hebrew language, and the word God here is the Hebrew word Elohim. And sorry, I forgot to put this on the screen. If you can see it, great. If not, I'll tell you. Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. The word is Elohim. It means strong one. All right, and and we read this word here in Genesis. If you were reading it in the Hebrew, you would read the word Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, strong one, we meet God. Elohim created the heavens and the earth, as Genesis 1-1 finishes out. The word create here is the Hebrew word ba Ra, B-A-H-R-A-H, Elohim Baraz. It's, it's the word create. It's a strong word. But God, in the beginning, in Genesis 1-1, Elohim creates. And Elohim Baraz in verse 1, but then look what happens in verse 2. Look what we see in verse 2. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so we see something else that's present here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We read of this Elohim that creates, but then in Genesis 1, 2, we read about this Spirit of God, the Spirit of Elohim, hovering above the waters at the very beginning of creation. Next look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And so Elohim baraz, Elohim creates. We read about the spirit of God or the spirit of Elohim hovering above the waters in verse 2. And then there's something else that we see here in verse 3 that's a little bit more difficult to see. But if you'll hang with me, we'll talk about it in just a moment. But I'm going to write the word here, word, because Elohim speaks. Elohim gives a word and things begin to happen. And as you continue reading through Genesis 1, Elohim says, let there be a sky and And let there be an ocean and land, and it all came to be, and it was good. Elohim says, let there be oceans full of fish and swimming creatures. And let the skies be full of birds and flying creatures. And it was so, and it was all good. And as you continue through Genesis 1, God says, let there be animals. Let there be livestock and animals to crawl on their bellies. Cats fit in there somewhere, you know, seriously. I mean, God had a sense of humor, and so he even created cats, and, and he put them on the earth, you know. And all this creating takes place in Genesis 1. But if you go to the very end of Genesis 1 and if you go to Genesis 26, something very interesting happens. And and we'll go there now. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image. Now, just stop right there for a second because I, I really want you to see what's happening here. 
I mean, look at God's words. Let us make man in our image. Let us in our image. Now, that might sound a little strange to you, this idea of multiple people at work in the very beginning, before there was anything creating all of things. And this idea of multiple people at work might seem a little strange, but but the strange thing is that Elohim doesn't mean plural gods. It's singular. It's talking about one character. There's one main character. And this is character development for our story taking place right here. And and I want to make sure that we get this right. In the story of everything, you know, God doesn't mean some policeman living in the sky or Morgan Freeman in the movie Bruce Almighty, you know. This God is a we that says ours, but is still one being. Now, let's look at something else. And I want to come back to what I referred to a moment ago when we wrote this, this, this word here on, on our paper. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip over to the New Testament or you can just uh, listen along with me. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John uh, is kind of giving his own perception as given to him by God a, a picture of what the beginning or before the beginning looks like. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he writes, In the beginning was the Word. Now, notice that that word is is capitalized with a capital W. This word is not an it, it's a he. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so the word, what was with God in the very beginning, you know, before all of things, you know, as John 1, 1 says, as we, we see referred to even in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the word was with God, this word was God, and this word becomes a human being. He dwelled among us. He has, his na- he has a name, and you might have heard of him, but it's Jesus. I realize that this is maybe a lot to start, maybe a lot to throw on you. The irony of it all is that I'm, I'm barely scraping the surface. And I want to keep this as simple as possible, but there are a couple of basics that I want you to see here as we begin in this story of everything. You know, I want to help you better understand who our main character, God, is. You know, maybe you have been coming here for a while now and, and listening to us talk about God, and you hear us talking about God, and, and you hear us talking about the Holy Spirit from time to time, and you hear us talking about Jesus, and you're wondering, how many people are involved? Like, what, what's going on here? How many gods, you know, is this church all about? Well, I want you to get what we've been talking about. There's a term here that we use to describe God, specifically in this illustration right here, and the word is, is Trinity. If you're taking notes, you can write that word down. It's, it's the word Trinity. And let me just give you a real simple definition for it. The word Trinity means God in three persons. Elohim, Spirit, Word, Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The word Trinity means God in three persons. He is three, but yet one. I'm going to give you, in addition to that, just three brief statements on on the Trinity. Three statements I want to make on the Trinity. Again, the first one, if you're taking notes. God is three persons. All right, he is three persons. He is three distinct persons. A bit of reference from Scripture. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus was about to ascend into heaven. Here's what he said to his disciples. Therefore, go and make uh, disciples of all nations, 
We call this the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' very own words, Matthew 28, 19. The second statement that we want to make on the Trinity is this, that each person is fully God. Each person is fully God. None is lesser than the other. This is not some organizational plan where one has greater power, greater purpose, or greater influence. None is lesser than the other. Each person is fully God. John chapter 1 verse 1, we looked at it a second ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then what does it say? And the Word was God. None lesser. The last thing is this, number three, and this is an important one. There is only one God. We do not serve three gods. We serve one God. It's one God. And God was very clear in these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, when he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, but we serve one God. And I realize, again, that that's a lot to process in five minutes. But uh, be encouraged that scholars have been thinking about it for 2,000 years, you know, or even longer than that. And, and if you can't get a handle on it now, I don't want you to worry about it. But my hope is that as we continue over these next few weeks in this series, the story of everything, that maybe slowly there'll be some greater clarity of what's actually happening here. If you're willing to stick with it, it might make greater sense to you in the weeks to come. But here's what I want to land on today. Here's what I want to land with, because here's the most important thing for you to see this morning. Two things. First. God is the main character in the story. In the story of everything, God is the main character. But second, and don't miss this one, all God does from before the beginning, all throughout Scripture to the end, and even as the story continues today, God does in a relationship. God does in a relationship. There's a community of love taking place here, that God works in a relationship in the story of everything, that this relationship has a particular quality to it uh, that the story of everything tells us. And I want to see this quality present in just a few scripture passages. In John chapter 16, verses 14, or verse 14, before Jesus died, Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit. He said, he, meaning the Spirit, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit, all right, the, 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 the Spirit of God, will bring glory to me from taking what is mine and making it known to you. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus was speaking about his father. He was speaking about Elohim. And he says, I, Jesus, have brought you glory, God, my father. I have brought you glory on this earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. I've come as the incarnation, as the son of God, to this earth to complete the work that you gave me to do. Verse 5. Uh, Jesus, uh, his request of his father, and now, Father, my prayer before I go to the cross is that you will glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you. And notice that last phrase, before the world even began. And what, what's the quality present here in the Trinity and, you know, in God himself? It, it's the word glory. Uh, it, it's the word glorifying. Uh, this whole glorifying that we read about in Scripture, has been taking place from the very beginning. You know, what does the word glorify mean? The word glorify means to praise. Uh, the word glorify means to love and adore. The, the word glorify means to encourage. Uh, the word glorify means, we, I've got your back. You know, the word glorify means to delight in. 
It's serving one another. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels, I do not seek to please myself, but to please the one who sent me. You know, from all eternity, before the beginning, the Father, Son, and Spirit have been glorifying each other. It's this unselfish, selfless relationship where they all revolve around each, each other. You know, each, each person in the Trinity loves and adores each other. Now, why does this matter? Why is this important? Why do we start here? Because the story of everything is about a God who is relational to the core. That the story of everything is about a God who is relational to the core. That the Trinity is a community of persons who know and love each other. You know, and their relationship from all eternity is this is dance of sorts, as some scholars have said. In fact, the, some of the earliest followers of Jesus came up for a term to describe this relationship, this oneness, uh, this dance of sorts. It's the word perichoresis. I, I'll spell it for you. P-E-R-I-C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. Let me say it again. Perichoresis. It's where we get our word choreography. That there is this dance of sorts, this relationship, this community of love, this oneness that takes place within God himself, within the Trinity. Uh, Again, it's where we get our word choreography. It means to dance and to flow flow around one another. This, This God is three in one. He's one in three. He has this relationship within himself where they all flow around each other like dancers on a floor who aren't all about themselves. It's a selfless uh, non-self-centered relationship where they're about glorifying and loving one another. And again, I realize that this is a lot to get your mind around and you're wondering what in the world it's even all about. Look at it this way, and this might help um, as we think about the Trinity. I, I've heard several analogies uh, used to describe the Trinity. Uh, you've probably heard them too. One of them is, is an egg, that the Trinity is like an egg, that there's a shell, there's the whites portion, and there's a yolk. Okay, at the end, it's still an egg, but there's three parts that make up this egg. Uh, the same anal- or different analogy that can be used to describe the Trinity would be that of water. That, that water uh, in its various stages, uh, it's a solid, it's a vapor, it's a liquid. Again, it's still water in its various stages. And, and I think these can be helpful. I, or I, I'd say it's, it's tortilla chips and queso and salsa. I'm kidding, you know, but it's just a great combination of food. You know, anytime you put that on a table, you know, you're good to go. Again, I'm not trying to blaspheme here or anything like that, but... but analogies can be helpful again they give us a picture i don't think we can lean on them too much and again they're not scriptural okay but but it might just help you get your mind around it to a to a degree but again what we need to know and realize that it's not so much in understanding how it's possible for god to be three in one that's not what i want you to wrestle with what we need to know and again if you're taking notes is that the trinity means that everything flows from a god who is relational to the core The center of the universe, the piece that holds it all together, is the Trinity. It's a picture of a dance, a self-giving love. And the Trinity helps us to better understand and realize that God is love. That God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. John writes, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And the Bible, the story of everything, doesn't say that that God is a God of love. It doesn't say that love is something God does or something that matters to God or something that God wants us to do. The story of everything, the Bible, God's word reveals to us over and over again that love is what God is. 
that love is what God is. And that's why our understanding of the Trinity is so important because for, the, for, the, for, for love to be real in this world, there has to be someone to both give it and someone to receive it, someone to model it. Model it. And the doctrine of the Trinity is so unique to Christianity. You know, followers of Jesus alone among other world's, world's faith believe that God always was, always is, and always will be in relationship with himself, that he is very relational to the core, that, that God is love, that he is truly love, and that love is where you and I come from. Love is where we come from because when God says, let us make man or let us make woman in our image, God is saying because our image is love because our image is relationship to the core is community of love. It's oneness. Let us make man, let us make woman in our image. God, a God of love, a God who is love, creates us out of love. That's where we come from. It's telling us that we are a, a reflection, an image of what God is, that God is love, and we were made to love and be loved. And, and love is not just an important part of the story. It is meant to be your story being loved and loving. Now, I have to do something here before we wrap up. If you're a note taker and the idea of driving home with a couple of empty blanks drives you crazy, I'm going to give them to you real quickly, but I've kind of changed my conclusion. But I'm going to do it to you just to be fair because it would drive me crazy too. You can read Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39 for yourself, but for your last two blanks there, and if you don't have the others filled, you'll have to come up and ask me afterwards because I forgot which ones I skipped. But one is we were made to love God. We were made to love God. And the second one was we were made to love each other. And you probably could have figured it out yourself if you thought about it long enough. But I changed my mind last night on how I was going to end this morning. And, and I don't want to end with these. I, I was struggling with how to end my message all day yesterday. And it got a little clearer last night. But a little story first. I went to the ER last night. Uh, kind of fun. Last night, 9 o'clock, got to go to the ER. Uh, I'll just tell you this. I, I cut my finger, my middle finger. I won't point it up and show it to you because it would be a very memorable uh, church service if I did that. But I had to go in for three stitches, and here's what happened. It involved a toilet, a Swiss Army blade, and I think if you throw in the fact that we live in the state of Indiana, there's a good redneck joke in there somewhere, all right? But it, it really did happen. And uh, so anyway, uh, what could have been a $10 part that I was just simply trying to rig up a little bit probably ended up cost me a few hundred dollars because I got to go to the ER. But anyway, I'm fine. So I'm sitting in the waiting room last night thinking through this message and, and trying to think of what, what's a creative way to bring it to an end this morning. I mean, how can we really drive it home? I mean, what, what's a thought? That, that maybe will so blindside you in such a way that we'll just open the doors for these rest of the weeks to come. And, and all of a sudden it hit me, and it was kind of the torment that I had been facing yesterday lifted off my shoulders as I was just sitting there thinking, how do we end week one? How do we move into week two in the coming weeks? And the thing is, is that it's nothing earth-shattering. It's really pretty simple. But while so simple, it's something that's so easily taken for granted and, and so lost because of it. It's this. God loves you. And that's the message that I want to give you this morning. The God of heaven, the creator of all things, is crazy about you. God loves you. If you grew up around a church, I mean, you've been hearing that all your life. I mean, you've been singing the song since you were a kid, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. You know, even if you haven't grown up around church, you probably could have finished that last phrase. 
Because the Bible, the story of everything, God's word tells me so. And it's a message that hopefully you've been hearing for years. But the problem is that while this concept is taught and shared, because it's so simple, I think it's so easily forgotten. It's so quickly lost. You know, I don't think I am the only person who has ever misunderstood God's love. You know, to some degree, most of the time, we we all have a bit of difficulty understanding God's absolute and unlimited love for us. Here's what's helped me in this is just, it's being a father, you know. I mean, seeing, you know, my little boy Joel born and, and praying for him at night when he was lying in bed and just realizing, you know, how much I'm capable of loving him or or even when it was when our little Luke was born and, and hearing some frightening words that the doctors heard a heart murmur, which turned out to be nothing. But in that moment, re, being reminded of the intensity of my love for, for both of my boys and now with having a little girl and just the fun of being a father with a little daughter and, and seeing her get excited when I walk in the door and realizing how much I, I love my children. My own love and desire for my kids is so great that it has opened my eyes to how much God loves and desires me. And my my love for my kids is only a small echo when it comes to God's absolute love for me. God loves me. And God loves you. And, And here's what I realized last night, that the message is so simple, yet so powerful, but so quickly forgotten. And enter into the picture, you know, the stories of our lives and our circumstances and our pain and our failure and regret and add to it false teaching or someone abusing the word of God with you. And all of a sudden, the message of God turns God into this angry judge waiting to try you or this cosmic Santa that's got your name all written, you know, over the bad list. It's easy to lose God's love. Mike Iaconelli, uh, late Mike Iaconelli, was killed in a car accident, uh, wrote this book entitled Messy Spirituality. And he, he tells a great story in there about a woman by the name of Margaret, just trying to understand God's love. He writes, for almost 40 years, Margaret had lived with the memory of one soul-scarring day in the one-room schoolhouse she attended. From the first day Margaret came to class, she and Miss Gardner, her bitter and harsh teacher, didn't get along. Over the years, the animosity between them only worsened until one fateful day when she was nine years old. Margaret's life was forever altered. That day, Margaret frantically raced into the classroom after recess. Late again, Miss Garner was furious. Margaret, she shouted, we have been waiting for you. Get up here in front of the class right now. Margaret walked slowly to the teacher's desk, was told to face the class, and then the nightmare began. Miss Gardner ranted, boys and girls, Margaret has been a bad girl. I have tried to help her to be responsible, but apparently she doesn't want to learn. So we must teach her a lesson. We must force her to face what a selfish person she has become. I want each of you right now to come to the front of the room and take a piece of chalk and write something bad on the board about Margaret. And maybe this experience will motivate her to become a better person. Margaret stood frozen next to Miss Garner while one by one the students began a silent procession to the blackboard. One by one, the students wrote their life-smothering words slowly. Margaret is stupid. Margaret is selfish. Margaret is fat. Margaret is a dummy. And on and on they went until 25 terrible scribblings of Margaret's badness screamed from the blackboard.
Mike goes on to write about how you know, this woman ended up for the next 40 years of her life in and out of a psychologist's office all because of one day. You know, if you have trouble hearing the words, God loves you, now let me ask you to think, why is it? Well, maybe that, that's a question that you can answer right here in the room, but maybe it's not a question that you can answer in just a couple of quick minutes. But why is it? Why is it that you have such difficulty understanding and hearing the words that God loves you? I mean, what's spoiled this message for you? I mean, is it, is it a past of rebellion and poor choices? You know, others, you know, have said they don't love you anymore, and so why, why would God choose to love you? Is that what stands in your way today? Or is it pain and disappointment? You know, just one circumstance, one letdown after another. And you can't help but ask. You've asked the question all your life. Why in the world would God allow this to happen to me? Is that what stands in your way this morning? Is that what keeps you from understanding God's love? Or is it the fact that you've, you've just taken the words for granted for so long? I mean, it's too good to be true. That God loves you. Could it really be that simple and that powerful? It is. Let me finish the story for you, and then we'll close. After decades of depression and anxiety, she had finally, Margaret, sought help and was having the last meeting with her psychologist. Two long years of weekly counseling helped Margaret to finally extricate herself from the past. It had been a long and difficult road, but she smiled at her counselor. How long had it been since she'd smiled as they talked about her readiness to move on? Well, Margaret, the counselor said softly, I guess it's graduation day for you. How are you feeling? After a long silence, Margaret spoke, I'm, I'm okay. The counselor hesitated, Mark, Margaret, I know this will be difficult, but just to make sure you're ready to move on, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to go back to your schoolroom and the details of that day. Take your time. I want you to describe each child as they approach the blackboard and remember what they wrote and how you felt, all 25 students. And in a way, this would be easy for Margaret. For 40 years, she remembered very clearly every single detail, and yet to go through the nightmare one more time would take a bit of, every bit of strength she had. After a long silence, she began the painful description. One by one, she described each of the students vividly as though she had just seen them, stopping periodically to regain her composure. Finally, when she was done and the tears wouldn't stop, they could not stop, Margaret cried a long time before she realized someone was whispering her name, Margaret, Margaret. She looked up at her counselor. He was staring into her eyes, saying her name over and over again. Margaret stopped crying for a moment. Margaret, you, you left one person out. No, I didn't. I've lived this story every day of my life. I didn't leave anyone out. No, Margaret, you forgot someone. See, he's sitting in the back of the classroom. He's standing up, walking toward your teacher, Miss Gardner. She's handing him a piece of chalk, and he's taking it, Margaret. He's taking it. And now he's walking over to the blackboard and picking up an eraser. And he's erasing every single one of the sentences the student wrote. And they're gone. Margaret, they're gone. And now he's turning and looking at you, Margaret. Do you recognize him yet? His name is Jesus. And look at the sentences he's writing on the board. Margaret is beautiful. Margaret is gentle and kind. Margaret is strong. Margaret has great courage. Margaret is loved. 
Friends, you are loved. I'll I'll say it again. God loves you. And and that's where the story of everything begins. That God is our main character. And your take home for today is this. God loves you. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Will you bow your heads with me? Our God in heaven, my prayer this morning is that in an attempt to maybe describe just a bit of your complexity, that in I in no way have assumed who you are or minimized you in any way. But my prayer and my desire is to be able to communicate the the very simple truth that I believe is so clear and profound in Scripture, but yet so easily missed. And that is that you are a God of love. And that you have always acted out of love and that you will always continue to act out of love. And your greatest act of love was sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. God, I pray that that would be impressed upon our hearts this morning. That you love us and that you sent your son, Jesus, to show that love for us. And I pray that we would know that today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.